This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here. It's always Warthog Man Cave here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in God's country. Yes, in the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gator. And we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention with Randy Elrad and John Pastore. Local security. Always choose local security and patronize our great sponsors who take care of us and look after us. We thank them. We thank those of you who donate to us, too. You know who you are, and we really appreciate it. And we know who you are. We don't forget it. You know, today, uh, Thursday, once a month, we have always devoted to the arts, specifically Dance Alive National Ballet, which is uh, has been for a long time the best kept secret, in my humble opinion. And I'm never wrong in the community, except that now the cat is out of the bag and everybody is getting to know about it. It's really got the best staff associated with it since I've been around it. Great board, great people working for it, a great business model, a great plan for the future. And uh, we are fortunate today to have one of the important cogs in the wheel here, Emily Pozak, who is now Emily Pozak Dixon, and who has her favorite little dog watching us over her left shoulder. Uh, uh, Toto, I think, is his name. And uh, he's a delight. I've seen him in person several times. But uh, Emily has been uh, kind of uh, involved for a long time, but has become more seriously involved, I think, and that she's now called the outreach director. And once you get a title, and once you get on the on the uh, uh, on the marquee, why you know you become somebody that uh, is somebody, as we say. Uh, Emily herself has a, has a dancing background, knows a lot about it, and is still teaching right now. So I'm going to get out of the way and introduce Emily Pozak Dixon to you, and uh, let her bring us up to date on what she's been doing. Really, if you can, Emily, since we found you hiding in a closet once upon a time and came over and got you and had you get involved to now what you're doing today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ward. We're always so excited to be a part of the Ward Scott Files and for all of your support. Um, and always your introductions always make me feel so important. Um, but I am really excited and proud to be a part of Dance Alive National Ballet. Um and I've gone through a lot of a lot of roles and a lot of parts of the ballet. Um, what I think is so unique about Dance Alive is it is such a strong and mighty force, but it is a logistically a small force. Um, Kim Tuttle, the executive director and artistic director, um, really 
does carries it all. We have a new executive director, um, Susan Scanelli, who is phenomenal. Um, but I have served in a multitude of roles within the organization. I started on, funny enough, actually in the role that I'm now back settled into. So I originally came to Dance Alive um, in a really organic way, actually in Alachua. That's how I met with Kim view via Ward Scott files. <laughs> world, you know, is a small circle and it keeps going. Um, my background is in dance, um, but I have a master's in arts and medicine from the University of Florida. And I have a really um, big interest in how arts can affect multiple communities of people. So I have um, worked throughout the state of Florida and also in Virginia on creating outreach programs for our um you know, underserved youth and other populations. I do a lot of work with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's as well. And then also in the, in the special needs um, category. So that's kind of what brought me into the fold with Dance Alive. And tale as old as time, we had that thing we don't like to talk about called COVID. Things kind of took a total shift. And in that time, I moved into more of an administrative role, um, assisting with the company and with Kim and those aspects. A big part of work that I've done is our Champagne Gala, which is our huge fundraiser, which I'm so excited. We actually are so ahead of the ball with that this year. So I'd love to talk about that a little bit, but um, I've kind of ventured back into the role and the umbrella of outreach. We have had um, Two wonderful sessions um, in Alachua at Legacy Park. They're partners with us. And we had a session at, um, in Ocala at their new community center. And we were, we're really excited. We're going to be continuing that. So in the fall, we'll be doing sessions in Alachua and in Ocala. And they will accumulate to a performance at our community nutcracker. So it is such an exciting time because we're able to go into the community and provide dance and education to a, honestly a lot of, of a lot of kids that wouldn't be able to experience it without that. And that's a big passion of mine is, um, you know, anything extracurricular takes time, but it also takes money. And um, we have a lot of fabulous sponsors that support that and really want to provide some of these opportunities that not all all children have. So a big part of our outreach umbrella is is doing just that, is providing these unique opportunities and educational moments. And it just coincides so much with what Judy and Kim have already established. They've been doing this forever, basically. And I just get to be um, the new addition to that umbrella. I just am holding it. In <laughs> <laughs> so it's really exciting. Well, you bring up some good points because you're talking about an underserved community that uh, quite often uh, doesn't understand uh, what dance can do and vice versa. Uh, I'm always thrilled to see the St. Augustine School for the Blind come with their people down here uh, to the Nutcracker. Mm -hmm. And people wonder, how can the people who can't hear and can't see appreciate a ballet? And uh, let me give you the opportunity to explain how that works. It's really a moving thing to watch. Yeah. So it's called the magic of Nutcracker and it really, that is the best, it, it is magical. Um, so we invite the school of the deaf and blind, which is located in St. Augustine, which in the realm of 
a school is a phenomenal school. Um, it's, you know, as you can imagine, there's not that many that are like that, but they bring their students and then they bring their students aides and we make it a very unique experience where we actually invite them on stage. So they're able to sit on the stage so they can put their hands on the stage so they can feel the vibrations of the music. Um, we also allow them, they're able to touch the costumes and, you know, sometimes I think we take for granted things that we have, we can see, most of us can see, we can hear. And what does that look like when it's taken away? And then you're right. How do you experience art, especially dance, which is such a visual experience. And so we work with them and we, and Kim and Judy do a fabulous job of, creating and breaking breaking any barriers that they might have so then they can experience it and it's just it really is i mean we call it the magic of nutcracker but it is truly magical because again these are students and that honestly also never thought maybe they would ever see dance you know and i know they're not physically seeing it but they are they're feeling it they're experiencing it and to their you know we're we're using all of their other senses that are so heightened to be able to give them that memory because it is nutcracker is one of those memories that people who aren't even associate wouldn't say they're associated with the arts they can they have a memory of which i find so special and i think oftentimes is overlooked um by people that they go oh well i don't know anything about dance or i don't know anything about the arts but then you say but do you want to remember when you went to see the Nutcracker? And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or there's people that bring their, you know, they they went as a kid to the Nutcracker and now they bring their kids and they bring their grandkids. And there's all this tradition that lies within the Nutcracker, especially, but also just within within ballet and within the dance form. So, but the magic of Nutcracker is is really, really special. We're able to provide this for them due to our sponsors. So it's a really... um it's a magical time. And the dancers also really enjoy it. It's really special to be able to perform and give back and experience it's experience it through another, another light. Sometimes in the nutcracker season, our dancers travel internationally and nationally. And it's a long, the, the December, November, December of any ballet company, everyone knows is, it is like our um, Super Bowl season. You know, it's we're in the, you know, we're in game seven for a long time. Um, and also I find when I've spoken with the dancers, it's it's such a, it's a really wonderful kind of reset. And it kind of reestablishes as they get to come to Gainesville to finish out their season with that, um, that Nutcracker season. So it's really special. I think also they get a little gift bag when they come, do they not? They do, they do. Yeah. And your beautiful wife has always helped us with that. <laughs> they you know, do. You know, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into that that, uh, you know, it just doesn't magically appear, you know. It's, it's planned, and and but I think it's one of the great things we're able to do to help out these people. And you made a good point. People about health, people take all that for granted, Um you know, all of a sudden, no, something can happen. Uh, um, you know, an automobile wreck or uh, something you didn't know working. And, and, uh, but these little kids um, got off to a different start from the very beginning, not being able to see and not being able to hear. Or I don't know if we have any, have both, all we might. The Helen Keller. Yeah, I do. There are, there are some that are, there have some that are both, both can't see and can't hear. Wow. Wow. Well, anytime you want to pinch yourself and think, therefore, for the grace of God, go I, and you're thinking you're pretty down in the dumps about your situation, 
Uh, there's a situation I'm sure you wouldn't want to uh, wish on anyone, but uh, they make the most of it. I mean, I'm amazed at them, uh, and I really applaud the school, and I, I really appreciate the way we connect with them. Uh, it's probably an untold story. Maybe right now on this uh, program is the first time the community has realized that uh, Dance Alive National Ballet does do that, mm-hmm. uh, plan that uh, uh, arrival, and it's very dramatic when those buses arrive. Um I just don't know what it is about their arrival, but uh, it's special. Everybody else comes there mostly under his own power and walks in and whatnot. Uh, these people are special. So um, and thanks for all you help with that. What else has been going on with the Outreach Director title now that you have got this official? Um, My official title. Your um, official title. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of good things. Again, we're we're really gearing up um for the fall season, which will be so exciting. Um, you know, the students when we finished out in the spring were already asking, when does it start again? When can we do it again? You know, how really? does that work? Which is always um, you know, such a good feeling to feel. Um, another role that I within outreach, because a lot of our um Funding does go towards support, does go to a pro- pro- towards programs like that, is I um, have assisted in the past with the Champagne Gala, which is our largest fundraiser. We are dancing with the stars. And I know we talk about it a lot on here, but Susanna Petty is a board member of ours, and she has been the chair for the event for the past three years. She's going on her fourth year. And this year, our co-chair with her is Tara Blythe. Tara Blythe was a dancer two years ago, and she and her husband is an architect, and he actually is the one who has drawn up and designed our new capital campaign building that we are hoping will be happening soon that that has started. But she came in and said, I want to be more involved. (laughs) She kind of was like, I, you know, I want to help. You don't want to turn that down. (laughs) And we were like, okay. And I'm telling you, talk about a powerhouse. She already, so in the history of Dancing with the Stars, um, you know, normally it's it's about, you know, September, we're kind of gearing up and trying to find people. She has everybody in a waiting list. We have all of our stars. We've already had a planning event. And in the history of yes. <laughs> the history of the gala, we're like, wow. Right. Which is amazing. She is a powerhouse. I am so excited to see um, what what she does with the gala, with her co-chair, with Susanna Petty. Susanna Petty has just been so invaluable um, with the Champagne Gala. I really, you know, we we had a really big pivot with um, the last Champagne Gala we had was really kind of the last thing um, in 2020 before the world kind of shut down. Um, so when 2021 came, we were in the height of that pandemic and didn't really know what it was going to look like. And that's where we kind of switched gears. We changed, we went to Alachua, we went to Legacy Park and, you know, we can't beat it. We love it. And, um, Susanna was the new chair and we, we kind of changed how we did some of our fundraising and we started utilizing, um, the Dancing with the Stars, their social media, and all of a sudden our fundraising just every single time it surpasses it. It's just, it's, it's just unbelievable to see. And I just cannot wait with that uh, Tara being involved, just what that's what that's going to continue to look like. So 
that will be in March again of 2024. Um, and I will tell you that it is going to be one one for the books. I already know that. As I was sitting there two weeks ago, we had an event and I got to meet with some of the stars and I thought this is going to be every year I say, how are we ever going to top it? And now I'm going to <laughs> really, how are we ever going to top it? Cause it's, it's going to be phenomenal. Well, we certainly have the room in legacy park. Um, probably um, that place can probably hold a thousand people. And yeah. uh, we've been nudging toward that really. Yeah. We, we have sold out the past, um, Three years last year, we had it was almost six hundred. We had we were completely we were sold out. So we're already going to add more tables this year. We are upping the ante. We are changing some things. We are adding some things. We're keeping some things. You know, there's there's so much with that event that is just so fun um, and so exciting. And those I know your viewers have heard about it, but in case we have new viewers, we partner with local celebrities, local yeah. people. In the community, Ward has been one, and um, they're partnered with our professional dancers, very mimicking to the actual show, Dancing with the Stars. They rehearse and they train, but they fundraise for votes. And it all is accumulation in this giant champagne gala, which is Legacy Park in Alachua, Florida. And it is an event for for the books every year. It's just so much fun. You know who's really paying attention to you is behind you. Uh, he's alert and hasn't missed a word. Uh, Toto, there you go, buddy. Hey, buddy. He wants he wants to wear his tuxedo and go. He doesn't understand. Yeah, why he's yeah he needs to be a door prize temporarily anyway to take care of that <laughs> other guy. He's got more energy. But right now he's watching his master. Well, mistress, I guess. Wouldn't be master, would it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's a, he's a delight. He's got a buddy. Uh, which the camera's not on. Let's see. There's the buddy. He's on his back. I'm not sure. Oh, my he's- golly. He's on his back. Oh, he's boy, not, he's not as intrigued with the with, with what I have to say today. What a life! What a life! Uh, talking with Emily Pozak Dixon, who was our outreach director for Dance Alive National Ballet, which is um, really getting ready to gear up. We're not really announcing it much yet, but we alluded to it a moment ago. Uh, we are going to um, build our own facility. Uh, it won't be as the facility for. Um, uh, Dancing with the Stars, but it'll be a facility, a black box and uh, some other really I envision as sort of the center of the arts in uh, in this community. And it's uh, on the drawing boards right now. Uh, we're not talking much about it because there's a lot of things that have to be, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. But when it comes time, we'll get get to that. And um, I think it's going to be uh, something the community will ever in a day really be proud of. Um Anything I'm skipping out on now, you know, Swan Lake has been an enormous success. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Oh, yes. You know, um, so the season ended this year with Swan Lake, and it was just a a powerhouse of a show, honestly. I mean, it was just start to finish, every detail. I mean, speaking of dotting I's and crossing T's, I personally, you know, don't think I think the company looks the best it ever looked at those shows. I mean, it was just the company itself is so strong right now, and Swan Lake was just accumulation of of all of that. Um, you know, we we are always challenged in the world of ballet with what the audience wants to see. Um, so earlier in the season, they did a show called Horse of a Different Color. And it was a phenomenal program. I mean, it was for sure. Yeah. 
so phenomenal. But unfortunately, and this is you, you see this all over the world. It's not just Gainesville. It's not just Florida. It's not just the United States. Um, you know, people are drawn to things that they are familiar with. Um, so the attendance for that, unfortunately, was not as fabulous as it should have been for the quality of the show. But Swan Lake has that attention grabbing. You see that it's like Nutcracker. You see the poster. People recognize it. It's a very, you know, um, that. So one, I think that helped. But then also, I just think that the momentum the company has been getting accumulated to this end of the season performance that was just, I mean, I everyone left feeling, I mean, just, it was just magical. I mean, it was just, it was so wonderful. We had um, a matinee show. We had our principal artist. And then in the evening show, we had guest artists from the uh, Philadelphia Ballet. And um, Oksana, who has been a principal and has come and done this role for us before, um, she and Sterling did the evening performance, and they were just breathtaking. But equally as much, and the and the matinee um, was was our artist with Carla was also just as beautiful. So it was it was a really 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 special end of the season. Um, I think that seeing the seeing the Phillips Center so full was so exciting it just adds to that fact all the way up on the top i know all the way up i sat and then i sat um in the balcony in the mezzanine and i mean i couldn't believe it because i looked back before it started in the entire i mean it was full yeah and it was just you know it was it really was that exciting that energy of the audience was also just so it's so fun and so exciting to see and i think that like i said i think one the name Swan Lake people associate with that. Um, but I also think it has a lot to do with the, like I said, the momentum and the, the cat getting out of the bag. Like you said, it is a hidden gem, but hopefully we're starting to become a little less hidden, which it, which it needs to be. Cause it's just, I, I just want, I almost sometimes want to walk down the street and say to people, you need to go see this. I promise you'll love it. <laughs> you know, and one of the things I learned last night during the board meeting is that, Swan Lake requires a lot of dancing shoes. So, if anybody wants to chip in and donate to the uh, cause, uh, the the money towards shoes. I mean, ballet shoes, amazing. Oh, it's un. I know. I think that's something that is such a. So, actually, we do at our Meet the Dancers event that will happen at the end of September. We do something called a point shoe pledge and. Point shoes for those who don't know what the ladies dance with when they're on their toes are actually all still to this day handmade. They are made with wood and canvas and they are, they have satin and they're all handmade, but because they're made of wood and saddle fat, those materials break, they wear out. So dancers oftentimes in a, in like a Swan Lake show, depending on the roles you have, you could go through two or three pairs of shoes easily. Within a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, sure. it, it's, you know, it, it's an astronomical idea that, um, and they're not, unfortunately, they're not inexpensive. They're really, they're handmade. I mean, think about things today. It's like right. you buy a pair of handmade shoes and then you, know, you put them on and then, you know, they only last. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of the company. And, and it's something that I think is 
not notice because again, what I love about ballet is they make it so effortless, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole magic of it. Um, to make it look as if it's natural and easy, you know, the hours I was trying to figure this out, probably nine times as many practice hours go into one hour of performance, nine to one, at least, would you say? I would say at least. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it would actually be a really interesting, I wish I, I am not a mathematician, but it would be such an interesting equation to figure out. I would say at least nine to one. And then in a show like Swan Lake, where you have a huge Mm -hmm. court of ballet, and that means when it's like everyone's on stage, having rehearsals so you can get everyone to look the same. Right. It's like the magic of the Radio City Rockets, you know, the symmetry, you know, yes, there is, you know, it's like rehearsing and it's just a principle. There's so much with that. But then when you add in and you have 30 swans on stage and you have to make sure that all of them, and that's what is so effortless about it is when we, we see it and it's performed, it looks seamless, but I promise you in the early rehearsals, it's not seamless and it's very, and there's people running into each other and, you know, all of those things. But, oh, I would say at least nine to one, if honestly, if not more, I mean, yeah. yeah, because I'm thinking about, for instance, Nutcracker, where we have um, some of our students that are in that show. So they will start rehearsing for Nutcracker in the first part of August, every single week. So August to December. That's at least August. Uh-huh. And at least 12, like at least, at least 12 hours of rehearsal for just one for just one section so that is an interesting fact to think about because it is it's a lot of a lot of hours and a lot of work from not only the dancers but also from our artistic staff from kim from andy from judy from you know and then also then you throw in too we have our chris shakazima who does the beautiful costuming Oh yeah. There's so many layers and our lighting and the, and the sets and the, you know, there's, it's not just like, Oh, let's do a show. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh no, no. That's, so oh, many parts of it. And that's something to bring back to this idea of outreach of something that I also like to share with the students when I'm teaching. I think it's really important to, we like to provide them an opportunity to see the shows, but for instance, in the, in the fall season, they will be asked to perform at the intermission of Nutcracker. So it's a really special opportunity for them because we talk a lot about how, you know, preparing for the stage and what does that look like, but also, um, you know, all the parts that go into it. And I also find that there is a sense of responsibility and ownership I can give the, I can give the students and that depending on what their background is and their family situation is, they may not always have, you know, a lot of times I see a lot of the families, um, you know, you have, they're coming from a place where it's a very working class, you know, wouldn't be able to do a dance class unless it was offered for free and it was at a community center And they would never be able to have the opportunity to do a performance. And also sometimes the kids 
have never been asked to kind of have this responsibility and have these, have this moment. I really try to instill in them the opportunity that they're given and how to respect that and how to understand, you know, it's not just about us in this moment. We have music and lighting and costumes and other dancers. And, you know, and it it really does, I think, give them a sense of ownership, which I've also seen has just been really, really powerful for their for their being, which I really like too. Well, we're so fortunate to have you as a community outreach director. Uh, even with or without a title, we're still fortunate to have you. And I know you've been involved, uh, I guess, I, before we found the title for you. I mean, you were... Even, yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's been, I've gone through the... <laughs> yeah. You know. you've, actually, you've actually worn more hats than uh, just community outreach director, I know. Yes. But uh, I'm always, it's always great to talk to you. And uh, look at the little guy back there now. He's not taking his eyes off of you. I know. You're going to He's like, look at him. So, and the other one's probably still on his back, right? Yeah, he's moved to the side. Now he's kind of a hard life for the dogs. Oh, it's a hard life for those dogs. And uh, they, you know, I've always enjoyed them when I've been around you. You've had them, and uh, they obviously are devoted to you. So, we are too at uh, Dance Live National Ballet, and we really, much like they are, we uh, sit and watch you all the time do your thing, if you will. I'm a big fan of yours, of course, and uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, We're going to break here for the Ward Scott Files weather here brought to you by Lewis Oil, a great sponsor, Wendell Lewis, in a moment. And I uh, wish uh, uh, Emily a great day. So thanks for coming on, Emily. Thanks, for- we'll see you soon. Bye. We're going to break now for the Ward Scott Files and weather report at the bottom of the hour and to treat our sponsors to some recognition. Well-deserved. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. 
may God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We just had a great conversation with our outreach director for Dance Alive National Ballet. And uh, now we want to thank Wendell Lewis and Lewis Oil for supporting us and sponsoring this weather report. Uh, supposedly, once again, here where we are, we've got the uh, prediction of rain that went all around us yesterday. It's so frustrating to hear the thunder and all that kind of business and uh, never get the rain. And look out the... Uh, expansive view here and and see uh, my golly there it is over the tree line so um that's just part of it i guess but that happens in the big city and in the country you hear the rumble you don't get it fortunately we don't get the lightning the lightning is the thing that uh really kind of makes you sit up and take notice as well of course uncontrollable wind the worst form would be i guess a tornado um but we're looking at an 83 degree high today about 67 right now here um there's some interesting things going on uh, in the general world of weather. And um, I thought I would take some time and go into these stories um, during our weather section, if you will, uh, on the Ward Scott Files, which is brought to you, as I say, by Lewis Oil. And uh, Chevron is a fossil fuel. Don't get nervous about that. We need fossil fuel. You know, I never thought of this before. But I guess when you bring up climate change or whatever the latest reiteration of it is, you know, goes through all sorts of names. Uh, first, it was global warming, I guess, and save the planet. And uh, now the latest is climate change. And I don't know what that means because climate's always changing from moment to moment. But <clears throat> I bet you never thought about this, that it's possible geological research is now Warning that the weight, I know, I hear all sorts of far-fetched things too, but you know, you might as well talk about them, think about them. Geological research is warning that the weight of New York City's skyscrapers, now think about that for a moment. I guess it would be heavy. And I guess the assumption is that that which is supporting them will support them. But the geologists are not so sure about that because they think the weight of the skyscrapers in New York is actually, they have a million buildings there that weigh nearly 1.7 trillion pounds. And they think, now see, this is not the water rising to meet the buildings which would be the climate change scenario. This is the weight of the buildings sinking below the level of the water. The geologists think that the city is getting closer to the water 
at a rate of one to two millimeters a year, with some areas subsiding much faster. I don't know how much one to two millimeters is, but I guess it's measurable. And the geologists say, people like us, may not. this may not seem significant to us, but they're saying it makes New York City extremely vulnerable to natural disasters. And the big area of concern is lower Manhattan. And there is concern for also Brooklyn and the Queens. Now, this causes, of course, flood hazards. And the threat of sea level rise is three to four times higher than the global average along the Atlantic coast of North America. So if you have a deeply concentrated population, as you do in New York City, of 8.4 million people, I guess that's a good excuse to come to Florida, huh? I had to throw that joke in. That's not in the article. This is an AP article. Well, now, in 2012, Hurricane Sandy forced seawater into the city. And heavy rainfall from Hurricane Ida in 2021 overwhelmed the drainage systems because the city is all paved. So geologists are saying you've got a combination of tectonic and anthropogenic issues here, plus sea level rise and increasing hurricane intensity. Combine that with repeated exposure of building foundations to salt water, which is measurably corroding the reinforcing steel and chemically weakening the concrete structures. Well, 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 there you are. I mean, now you do, you, do you lie awake at night and think about this? Uh, New York City is ranked third in the world in terms of future exposed assets to coastal flooding. Now, I I think right away of Amsterdam. I mean, don't they have flooded? Isn't the city flooded if I got the wrong town? Um, So there's other cities. Venice, there you go. Venice, flooded. I mean, there's other cities that deal with this. So... Who knows? I mean, we once had dinosaurs, too. I thought I'd throw that in there during the weather. That is really uh, interesting, is it not? There's one more little weather story that I thought was maybe fun to talk about right now. In Montana. Now, kids are always getting used by adults for issues that worry the adults and the kids not even aware of. Um, there was there a um, lawsuit that said that climate change was threatening uh, the Flathead Indian Reservation children. Um, 
And this lawsuit was filed in 2020. And um, um, the 16 plaintiffs, the youngest of whom is now five, attribute the perceived dangers to their culture, homes, health, and natural environment. Are you ready for the kicker? Here it comes. To the, quote, dangerous impacts of fossil fuels, end quote. Now, what is causing those dangerous impacts? It's the reckless energy and economic policies of the state governments promoting fossil fuel. This is why I'm doing this during the weather. And, of course, Lewis Oil is a fossil fuel. So the lawsuit right now, the article from the Wall Street Journal is talking about, is called Held versus Montana, H-E-L-D versus Montana. And the case name derives from a uh, oldest plaintiff, Ricky Held, 21 years old, and is the only one not represented by a guardian. Uh, it's going to go to trial, and it's going to be held uh, that, uh, you know, these people are not are entitled uh, to a stable climate system. Huh? Huh? So I don't know how this is going to work out. Uh, the this behind this is a out of state nonprofit organization called Our Children's Trust, which is a nonprofit public interest law firm, and um, they've tried before uh, this approach in Montana and it's failed. Uh, they tried it evidently in 2011 to curb greenhouse gas emissions, and the state Supreme Court in Montana dismissed its petition that year. Um, but who knows, you know, what's going to happen here. If they do prevail in hell versus Montana, um, they predict there's going to be, quote, a flurry of Greta Thunberg lawsuits. That's essentially what this is, a Greta Thunberg lawsuit. You remember Greta Thunberg is the crying child, hysterical about the end of the world, and therefore getting a lot of poster time. Um, they're going to have an emeritus professor of environmental economics at Montana State as an expert witness for the state. He believes the allegations of public harm from fossil fuels are baseless. Um, he says Montana contributed 0.07% to global greenhouse gas emissions in 2020. And he says that the state's policies have virtually no effect on global climate change and no effect on the welfare of Montana citizens. Uh, and that the contribution that fossil fuel production makes to the state's economy, that effect is a benefit, not a detriment, but a benefit to Montana's citizens. Um, you know, you know, you just when you think you've heard it all, um, along comes hell versus Montana. Um, now the way the Philip Gregory is trying to present this, he's the attorney, attorney for the plaintiffs. He's saying that the state of Montana is trying to go to trial against 16 youth plaintiffs. Um, woe is me, the state of Montana is picking on the children. 
some of whom are on reservations. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I, 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 I wanted to present that. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. You know, I, I can't go on without referencing uh, something that was called to my attention yesterday, and that uh, was the banning. The way it first came out in the press, it was the banning of Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb. Now, let's do a refresher course here moment, students. Who is Amanda Gorman? She is a Harvard student who is a minority who read her poem at Uncle Joe's inauguration. And the poem that she read is The Hill We Climb. You know, the only poet to ever read at an inauguration whom I remember, and he was the first that I think ever read at an inauguration, was Robert Frost at John Kennedy's inauguration on a really cold, bitterly cold, bright winter January day. Very moving, very moving. The hill we climb is nowhere in the league, nowhere in the league of Robert Frost. Robert Frost was not used, I'm just going to be blunt with you, Robert Frost was not used for political reasons by John F. Kennedy. Robert Frost was an artist. And Kennedy wanted the nation to feel the influence of art and to get out of the polit- to get out of the political arena. To get out of the politics. And to get into a higher kind of conversation. Biden's was to drag us down and politicize the arts. The Hill We Climb is about, should have been cut in half. I've tried reading it. It ain't Robert Frost. It's not James Dickey, who was a poet laureate. It's not Robert Lowell. If you wanted to have a poet read at inauguration to present the beauty of the language and the culture without all the political baggage, that's different. The hill we climb, as I say, way too long. I mean, come on, it's not the Canterbury Tales. That's 17,000 lines. It's not Beowulf. That's 
3,182 lines. So I had to take a moment and laugh about this as well. Because the way this made the news about the hill we climbed, nobody, ever, nobody cared about it. Until, of all places, a librarian, and right now I'm told they're, they're not librarians so much as they are um, technicians of films and things of that nature, but they run the libraries quite often. Um, at all play of all places, at a school named after Senator Graham, Governor Graham, in South Florida, where he was from, where Senator Graham was from, South Florida. Um, the way it came out in the press is that oh oh, the hill we climb has been banned. Now, of course, why did this come out that way? It came out to bash DeSantis. And it came out at the time DeSantis was getting ready to announce. So some wise person, right, decided let's bring this out at the time he's getting ready to announce, and then we'll get headlines out of this that books are banned out of all places, a school named after a former senator, Well, it turned out it wasn't banned. It turned out the the poem was moved from the elementary school part of the library to the middle school part of the library where it's fully accessible. I have to tell you this, it reminds me of something that happened in my childhood. Probably by now you have figured out that whoever, whomever I hung out with was also kind of a, he could, he was a needler and a, well, you know what I mean, clown and cut up. Those were all my buddies. We had a study hall. In this beautiful library in our school, which, you know, had the high ceilings and you you couldn't help but sit in there and not think, wow, you know, this is a library. And one day one of my buddies came hush hush to me and said, hey. And I think I was probably in the seventh grade. Which would be middle school. Hey, come here. I want you to see something. So, you know, I did. Because this was the kind of guy that was always finding things nobody else had found. Naturally, therefore, he'd be one of my buddies. And we went to a corner of the library. And Timmy, my buddy, Looked over his shoulder, kind of peered around, pulled out a copy of National Geographic. Well, I never read National Geographic. I was busy reading all the sports stories in the library. 
you know, the biography of Bill, Babe Ruth or, you know, I, I was fascinated with those things at that time. Later on, I got into mysteries by Hillary Queen and things of that nature. I had a whole bunch of things I went through. I hadn't been over to National Geographic. We went around a corner to kind of a place where nobody could really see us, we thought, you know. And he opened up National Geographic, and sure enough, there it was. It was some South Pacific island. Yes, you know the rest of it. With these women, women, as Truman Capote used to say, in grass skirts, grass skirts, and no top. Topless women. Now, this was before Playboy. So it really tightened down then. These women in grass skirts and no top. Well, wow. We took a good, long, hard look at that. And then Timmy put the book back. Just like we found it. And we didn't think anybody would ever know that, right? Well, guess what? Word spread among our little crowd that in the library was a book with a picture of boobs. Yeah, boobs. Really? So we got a little bigger crowd. And inconspicuously as we could, we got a little bigger crowd. And went back. And guess what? That picture had been cut out of National Geographic. I kid you not. Cut slap out of National Geographic. Now, I don't know what the librarian down at the Bob Graham School or the technical advisor or whatever they are now thought was not suitable. Um, There's probably a line or two in there you can find. But it wasn't banned. This is the point. It was re, um, rearranged in a different section of the library. But the media initially said it was banned. So you have to be careful. Now, we never made the papers, as far as I know, that the, the picture of this South Pacific boobs were removed from the National Geographic. And I don't think we made the news. But later on, Playboy did. Yeah. 
Later on, Playboy did. Big time. So I don't know. The hill we climb, you know, first of all, it's, it's not Robert Frost. It's not Chaucer. It's sheer blatant politics. And it got kicked around again in the South Florida school. Kind of amazing. Because there's a lot of stuff like that coming out right now. Don't say gay. Regulation of books and classroom discussion. LGBTQWXYZ under attack. LGBTQ rights. You know, what is this rights stuff? There's no LGBTQ rights in the Constitution. Who put that in there? How about if we change rights to responsibilities? What kind of difference would that make? Responsibilities instead of rights. I have a right to. Well, how about what is your responsibility? You don't ever see that, do you? You don't ever see that. You ever hear that. I mean, even go so far as to say LGBT. I'm just looking at another AP article. LGBTQ rights people feel endangered. Endangered. And they feel like they're not being treated like whole people. Whole people. I feel the same way. You're going to see more of this stuff is my point of bringing it up. You're going to see more of this stuff as DeSantis is getting more and more national attention. So it's going to be more, not less. You're going to have to put your thinking cap on and figure out how to read intelligently. And as we have talked about, read between the lines um, to figure out what's really going on. It's the only way you're going to be able to wade through this crap. Because this is going to start flying around uh, in all sorts of crazy patterns at all sorts of crazy times. And, um, you know, I'm always, I can always tell when somebody's written about Florida who doesn't live here. Um, probably they're writing from New York. So the Ward Scott Files advises you to, uh, be an intelligent uh, consumer of information and you know, learn how to take care of yourself. Well, have a great day. We uh, will be back with a great guest tomorrow and um, have a, maybe a rainy day, perhaps, where you are. Warthog Command Center out.